Land acknowledgements are often presented in shared spaces where we gather in person. But on a podcast, we recognize that each one of us occupies space on Indigenous land. We call on you, our listeners, to acknowledge that Indigenous people are the original inhabitants and caretakers of this land and have distinctive and sovereign rights and responsibilities that are directly connected to the land, community, culture, and knowledge. With this in mind, please take the time to find out what territory you are on at native-land.ca and support our amazing Indigenous firecrackers like Dr. Jules Kustachin, who directed and wrote the amazing movie Broken Angel. For more information, go to her website, juleskustachin.com. Oh, hey everyone, it's Naomi Sneegas. And Amanda Bruegel. And this is The Blaze Sessions. Amanda, we we are just killing it. We're like knocking it out of the park. One, two, how many things did you have on your list of things to do today? Uh, I can't, I, there's 30, 20, 40, five, yeah. Okay, yeah. we're it's gonna fine. talk about this with our guest today, but I do wanna have a little bit of, um, you know that that when people are like, oh, you're always so busy, that thing that people say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're always so busy. And yeah, like I think that you create work, you are a working actor, there's lots going on. But also there's times like, I feel like I need to start posting like a picture of me watching like back-to-back episodes of like Below Deck. I think I've talked about this before on the show. But I, you know what I mean? Like we do have balance. Like tell me how you're, the balance is going these days. No, no balance. No, I don't really. No, it's something that it's it's true. There are, I mean, like Aiden and I will watch like uh, crappy shows at night sometimes, but it's yeah. especially when I have my kids, it's after I'd say 1030 when the eldest one now finally slinks to bed and then it's bed after that. Like I, it is something that I talk consistently about with my therapist. I don't have that. Like I don't do the, um, like let's sit on the couch all afternoon or like let's have a lazy Sunday I don't and I think that that's part of problems particularly why I have anxiety like I don't have downtime like right before we were talking I was texting and emailing and dealing with a hundred things and then right after that I go pick my kids up like there's no like it's minute by minute and it's not like this like a couple days it's like this it's consistently my life I mean, it's I'm, not, it's a bad, it's a problem. Yeah. I, 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 like, I know we kind of, we joke about it. Right. But at the same time, no, no, like, it's, it's legitimately level. a problem. So like, yeah. where's the tipping point, right? This is what I feel is that I sometimes, I was talking to my friend about this, like that kind of nuts busy where it'd be like, I'd be doing a show. Like I remember doing a show with Matt. It was a new year's Eve show. We finished the show at midnight and then we hung out and cleaned up and did all the things for the show. And then we went home, slept for two hours, and the next morning drove to Los Angeles because we had a show in Los Angeles we had oh to get to. God. So like that kind of nuts oh behavior, but there's a tipping point. Something's going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hurt my ankle and that's going to make me slow down. You're going to like, do you have awareness that you, yeah. you need to stop? No, I don't. My body tells me I get sick. Like I get yeah. sick a lot it's I get sick and then I'm out for two days and then I feel guilty that I'm out for two days and then I almost obsess and overcompensate for the two days that I stopped it genuinely is like I don't know if we're yeah. gonna fix it in this session no it no it's gonna get fixed prob- today. probably the right yeah, now this is it. it genuinely is my the 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 I would say the most consistent um and and the largest 
my largest problem in my life. Like we all have our day-to-day things, but mine mm-hmm. is not being able to achieve balance or a healthy work-life balance in a way that is um that makes me happy, that makes my family happy. Mm-hmm. It's it's genuinely probably my biggest problem. Yeah, I getcha. What do you yeah. think what do you think that is yeah. though? Do you think it's like you know, we've had these talks with these the different folks on this show. Um, but like the ambition, right? I feel like there's a certain level of like, I don't have ambition. enough time to do all the things that I have in my ambition. I think so. It's ambition. It's achieving a sort of level of perfection that I know that I got from my father. It's it's always being um, like an everything executing excellence, which is a bullshit thing. It's made up. Mm-hmm. I don't know who I'm doing it for or why. Wow. It's um, never being satisfied with um, s- standing still and sitting still in your own peace. Um, and yeah, meditation helps. Yesterday I went for, Aiden took me to a spa for my birthday. We have to go to it. And we did a, a hot, it's like a hot steam bath and then you do a cold plunge those. and you do a rest period. Is it the, the body and it was the first time. I don't know what that is. No, it's oh. called Thermea. It's in Whitby. It's amazing. Okay. But we, we have to go, but I'd love to talk to our guest about this balance because right. if there's anyone who knows how to give me advice. Well, I mean, this is really, it's like a little bit of a mini masterclass slash therapy session. Cause I feel like she might have some answers for us. So uh, go on, let's, let's get That's to true. our fantastic guest. But first here's a word from our sponsor. Hey, did you know that only 25% of the content we see on our screens is made by women? What? I know, I was surprised too. But you know who's doing something about that? Catalyst for Creators. Their mission is to work with women-identifying creators and get great content made for global audiences. They invest in women and their ideas through development, financing, and packaging. And you know why they do that? Because they are dedicated to increase that 25% one project at a time. It's incredible. You can find out more about Catalyst at catalystforcreators.com, where they are open and eager to hear your ideas. So drop them a line. And now back to the show. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Oh, she's oh, she's, <laughs> she almost and, popped in oh, and this no, was she, like, oh, 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 no, don't, don't, oh, she's here. Get out of here. We're going to introduce you. We're going to introduce you. Okay. <laughs> She's an award-winning uh, director, writer, producer, actor, showrunner. I can't. Uh, in 1999, she shifted her focus to producing, and she co-launched Big Soul Productions. You know it, uh, becoming Canada's first Indigenous-owned and operated oh full-service film and television production company. I can't. It's just too I much. Know, on this I list. know. In 2005. I'm so she just then branched out independently and she's been creating and producing and writing and directing content through her very own production company, Red Cloud Studios. In 2020, she launched the Shine Network, supporting Indigenous women in film and TV. She's been in iconic films like Empire of Dirt and Dance Me Outside and TV shows mm. like The Res and Cardinal and Reservation Dogs and Blackstone. She's a co-executive producer of the Inspire Awards, which recognize Indigenous professionals and youth. And she is currently the recipient of the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television 2023 Special Tribute Award. She is inspirational and generous and a national treasure. And I hope she can fix my life. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Jennifer Podemski. Jennifer! Does that make you? Yeah, that's it. You got it. You got it. It's like if you were off stage, you'd be like, almost on stage. I was like peeking, peeking. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. a little red velvet That's curtain. It. Yeah. I'm so happy. Hi. Time. It's so great to see you. 
Wow, that was quite the introduction. I uh, it's thank you. Right? Do you forget? Do you forget how many credits you have? Do you forget how? And the, does it either invigorate you or make you tired? Feel like, oh my god, I've done a lot. Honestly, I think it just goes back to what Amanda was saying about work-life balance. Like, I think that the the core of it, aside from you know maybe obvious trauma responses, whatever that is, on the side. I think the core of it is like the entrepreneurial spirit of, mm-hmm. of being in a gig economy mm-hmm. where you have to hustle so hard because if you stop, you're probably going to be yeah. out of work. So it's managing yeah. the fear of not working mm-hmm. and the fear yeah. of getting sick and the fear of not being there for your kids. Like for me, it's a management of fear. Which fear do I choose that I want to face? Yes. So in the bigger picture regarding the introduction of the credits and whatever, I very rarely take uh, take time to like think back and be, I do reflect a lot, but I don't think about like, oh, look at all the things I've done. Look at all the stuff I've achieved. It's always like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. Cause I'm just like, I have so much to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that resonates with me so much. I love that. I had the first, I think uh, I've been doing this for 25 years. So the first, I mean, I'd say 18 of them, 17 of them were uh, me in a situation where I was desperately worried about money and I didn't want to be carried by a Mm -hmm. a man. And that's not how I was raised. And I was so fearful, so fearful that I wouldn't be able to take care of my kids. And so to set that state for 18 years and I watched my mom struggle as a single mom, just so afraid that I would be that. So I think that you're right. There's, it's just, I've never heard anyone put it that way. There's such a constant hustle in me that is, that cannot be satiated. And no matter the amount of money or accolades or anything, Mm. I still, I'm still at the grocery store with a baby strapped to me, scared about being able to buy milk. Like it's still, and that won't ever leave me that fear, hustle. Yeah. So I like the fear management thing. I mean, that's what I, I feel like it is all the time. It's yeah. It's the fight or flight of, you know, it's survival. And, you know, yeah. when, we the, when we don't have the facade of a secure job, even though like that's <laughs> facade as well, um, it's uh, yeah. we're forced into, you know, it's like kind of like if you don't paddle or stay above water, then mm-hmm. you're going to drown. So mm-hmm. I think that's the feeling. And there really is no balance in that. It's like what you choose no. to focus on, really. There's no such thing as balance. Like there really isn't this like, oh, like my life is really balanced. It's like just when you think you're balanced and then it's like, boop, boop. You it know, it, mm. it to- it's totally true. And I think if I can give any advice. Oh my life, God, give all the advice, Jennifer. Infinite, almost 50 years of wisdom. It would be this. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about like how do you manage the like the constant feeling of like being afraid to fail and being afraid to like um you know not be there for your kids or not be there for yourself or your career, all of those things. I really start to manage the small tasks, and that's where I feel like the biggest wins are. It's like, oh my God, yeah. I got home in time from that, you know, whatever audition or gig or you know, I from the airport. I you know, took a shower, made dinner. My kids were here. We all sat at the table together, ate a meal, and then all like kind of cleaned up together. That short period of time makes me feel like I'm a huge success story, like in my own story. Yeah. I like that. The little victories. Yeah. Those are the little, the little wins are really where all the big, like the big, um, 
you know, the major work, our, our major spiritual work, I think, is acknowledging those little, the little wins, because if we ignore them, then we, then we, we take away that feeling, the potential of actually feeling like we're getting somewhere mm-hmm. that we're making progress. Yes. Yeah. Or you belittle it. Like yeah. we, we make like our failures so big and our successes so small, right? Yeah. Like, like when you book, mm-hmm. they, remember when we first started booking things and be like, we used to have champagne, like a little bottle of champagne in the fridge because just because get ready for celebration. We booked the thing, let's celebrate. Let's, and now it's like, okay, we booked the thing, move on. Yeah. Like we have that thing. Yes. Now it's almost just like a check mark as opposed to stopping and going, that's a little victory. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to yeah. talk to you more about your, the CEO and founding work that you've done with these organizations, which also blows my mind, but I need to start with um, talking to you about dancing outside. And I'm sure you talk about it all the time, but I have to tell you, my mother used to bring up dance me outside. It somehow like hit her heart. She would be like, why can't you yeah. do things like dance? My mom's passed away. So I'm a little emotional whenever I speak about it, but I don't mind. Cause it's just, it's just love. It's just feeling the love of her. But she would be like, why can't you do something like dance me outside? And like Herbie Barnes, who's a friend of mine, she'd be like, this, this character, like she would, she almost had memorized the entire movie. So like, it was honestly a huge part of our household, that movie. And I have two questions. One is what was, what was your life like when you were doing that? Cause you also did it with your sister, which must've been extraordinary, but tell me about what was going on in your life when you were, when you're shooting that and, and even booking that, what was that like? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, I guess I was 20 and my life was like, uh, just being an actor and having 10, you know, side hustle jobs. Um, Mm -hmm. this actually was very interesting because Tamara, my sister, what went to a meeting with Bruce McDonald about a music video about a year before dance me outside. And I thought it was super gross that this guy was taking out this young girl. So I And like, did not know who he was, went with her to the lunch and I sat at a different table and he was like having a meeting with her to star in this movie, Dance Me Outside. And I was just there as the protector sister. Of course. And uh, anyways, he was like, you come, come sit with us, like, come over. You don't have to sit over there. Come over. So I sat there, whatever. Anyways, he started asking me about myself and I was like, yeah, I just finished a movie called the diviners and da 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 this and that blah, blah, blah. Anyways, then I got a call to audition for the lead of the movie wow. and felt terrible because tomorrow <laughs> I had a meeting. Anyways, we both auditioned. And when the agent called, we, you know, picked up our phone, the phone, the landline at the same time to hear the results, the verdict. And I was offered the lead role and she was offered little Margaret and she was devastated. Yeah. I was yeah. devastated. I didn't, I was just like, I felt so bad. I'm sure you've both been there where you're like, I'd rather just not take it just because I want to save that person's feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's how I ended up getting that role. And you know, where I was at was uh, as a like hardcore actor in Toronto, just trying to with, you know, very little hope for anything. Cause unlike your mother, like my family was always like, is that a native thing you're doing again? Oh, is that a native part? That kind of thing. Yeah. So it wasn't real to them. So there was a bit of a, you know, so if it was native, it wasn't real. Yeah. A lot of shame, you know, and then the, you know, just that I was only doing native stuff and, you know, often losing out to uh, non-native people. (laughs) Um, Anyways, that was really, 
my life at the time. Yeah. It was still very prevalent mm-hmm. at that time. Um, so yeah, getting but that da- film. Dancing awesome. Outside was a huge success in our country. Huge. It was like, huge. What do you think? Huge success. Like, yeah. why do you think that resonated so much with, with us? I think that nobody had ever seen characters like that or people like that on, on yeah. the screen before. It just, we've not, ne- we had never seen it. There just had, had never been anything, you know, like that. It was like really raw and real and very mm-hmm. uh, rock and roll, right? It wasn't earnest. Mm-hmm. It was just raw. And mm-hmm. it definitely resonated. Mm-hmm. Like I still, you know, it's still the thing that people talk about. So mm-hmm. um, it was, mm-hmm. it was really, uh, a very important part of my journey for sure. Yeah. It must have been. You mentioned your sister, and uh, she's also an artist. Uh, there are three of you, yes. yes. Are you the wait? Yes. Are you the oldest, Jennifer? I'm the oldest. Yes, the oldest. Yeah. Uh, and so, did you grow up in a family? Uh, I, I can imagine the answer is no. From the the just is that a native part sort of comment? But did you grow up in a family that fostered the arts that pushed you to be artists? Like it's really interesting that there there's such um at least with the siblings there is such a it's like a little collective of extraordinary artists it's always interesting to me when sibling families they do that in families like what happened why did one inspire the other yeah I think if you would ask my sisters they would you know say that there was some inspiration from me along the way but really it was, it was really the perfect storm. Like I grew up in the eighties in Toronto when extracurricular activities at school were, you know, paid for and you could mm-hmm. dance and sing and do all kinds of things. Remember? It was, you know, I know, remember very good time. I know. Yeah. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, I was always a performer from the beginning. I just was that, that kid. Um, and I often performed with my sister Tamara, who is four and a half years younger. But as soon as I was, you know, as soon as we were of the age that we could create things together, that's what we did. And it was fostered. My grandmother, my dad's mom uh, t- used to take us to the ballet and a lot of plays. And I just was very much into being a performer. And it was it was just the life. Everything kind of fell into place it just fell into place. And I just dreamed so hard, like any other, you know, any other performer who, you know, I saw ET and I would sit at the TV and be like, I'm going to marry you one day. <laughs> Wait, which one, the alien or the little guy? The, both. No, <laughs> the alien, I thought was it. Elliot, <laughs> Elliot, and just like watched him on Oscars or whatever awards shows and just like dreamed mm-hmm. so hard to be, you know, mm-hmm. a performer. And then I actually made a post about this the other day. It was really um, Deb Goldblatt who brought me yeah. to her synagogue to a drama class that they did throughout the year. So it was community theater. And I got the lead role of the, you know, the musical. And uh, that was really in grade six, I think. So I was like singing and dancing and acting as a, as a real life thing by grade six or seven. Um, and it just was, it was something I pursued pretty aggressively. I really pursued it at a young age. And did you ever stray? Did you ever be like, maybe dental hygienist? No, no, no. It was really dance dance at the beginning. Like I just wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be in like, you know, on Broadway. I just wanted to be in fame. I wanted to be in fame. I wanted to dance and sing and that kind of thing. And yeah, no, never dental hygienist. Although I might have played one. 
but I might have played one on TV. I will play a dental hygienist, but didn't ever dream of, uh, of that. And, you know, the dream changes. It's like, I don't really know I was thinking about, but my dream, you know, my whole motivation changed after, you know, a bunch of years and it wasn't actually to sing and dance and perform. Although I do love doing that. Um, it's really to create, mm-hmm. and, you know, build up yeah. build capacity. So that sort of became my mission after being someone who just only wanted to perform. But wh- when did that happen? Like, when did you, cause I feel like there's a lot of actors that were, are actors for their life. And then there's some actors that are actors and then they realize there's a shift and they need to have their voice heard like when did you know that you needed to be part of the change not only uh with women in our industry but also with indigenous people in the industry like that that was part of your your job your storytelling in this there were several times that that happened um the first time was actually right before uh dance me outside i was in a movie called the diviners and uh I did like five auditions for that. And I had to go all the way down to Eastern Avenue. I lived in North York and it was like, I was 17, I think. And I was just like, wanted that part so badly. And then I didn't get it. So I moved to Israel actually. And so when I was 18, months went by and they called me back. Like I had quit the industry and I thought like, this is not for me. I can't handle the rejection. I'm just, I'm never going to be okay with this. I should think about another possible job and I wasn't really sure what that was but then I got the role and I went to Winnipeg and I picked up my career again and then it kind of faded off um, when I was 24 I was just not really working very much I was I was only auditioning for native roles and no matter how hard my agent tried to get me seen for (laughs) like regular normal characters um, I just wasn't it just wasn't happening for me so uh, when Tamara, my sister, called me to tell me that she got the role of Maureen on Broadway in Rent. Yeah, yeah. I was like, can I come? I'm quitting acting. It was really in New York when I was 24, that whole year of 24, that um, that I knew that I had to become someone who made things so mm. that other Indigenous like actors or stories or narratives um, wouldn't would expand and I would like sacrifice my desire to be in front of the camera to, I just figured like, I'd rather be in control of what was being made rather than constantly auditioning for the most racist, inappropriate roles um, that you can, you know, that perpetuated harm narratives and that sort of thing. I don't under it's that fascinates me because I'm only getting to that place now at I'll be 46 tomorrow and I'm only getting to that place now where I've always felt that but I wasn't brave I've never been brave enough to take the reins and say I have to make my own space or make my own work and I too you know came up in the in the 90s in this business and only being offered for a good 12 years of being like hoochie mama or big ass lady or dat bitch, like those kind of roles. And I didn't, as much as I, you know, want to be dat bitch, they got really tired after a while. And so I guess what I'm asking you is where did you, where do you get off? Like just at 24, not having the experience to then go and like co-launch big soul productions. Like how do you, where, what's the mental shift or what's the, 
I, I remember the, the exact moment I had gone to lunch with my agent in New York. I had gotten an agent, like just got an agent in New York. And I was like, maybe I will give this a try after several months. And she like berated me for showing up in jeans. And I was sitting in the apartment. Like the, it was such a perfect moment. It was like started snowing and it was such a beautiful New York moment. And I was like cutting out pictures of myself to make this like sheet of like, Jennifer Podemski, new to this agency. She's so exciting. <laughs> and I was just thinking, this freaking sucks. Like this lady is yelling at me, like humiliating me about wearing jeans to a meeting. Yeah. Like, who is she? What am I doing in this business? This is the shittiest business I've ever met. <laughs> I threw that stuff out. I just gathered everything up and I threw it out. And I was like, I think I'm going to become a producer. I don't know what a producer is, but I think I'm going to become a producer because that's, that's what that, those are the people that change things. And it was in, it was in that moment. I remember praying so hard that I was just going to be a producer and I'm going to be in control. And I don't want to be a part of, you know, the, I don't want to be the victim anymore. I want to mm-hmm. be the change. And then like after that, once, you know, once you pray hard enough and really manifest those visions, the, yeah. the universe sort of opens up. And that's when literally like I got called to host the national Aboriginal achievement awards, which is now the inspire awards where I met Laura Milliken, who was the associate producer. And we had a chat she's like, do you ever think of like being a producer? And I was like, I do actually, I'm literally thinking about it right now. And so we on a whim, just like decided to start a company with like, with almost our experience in the industry, like she was an associate producer and I had been an actor for this long. I'd also written and directed by that point. Um, and we just, we basically created a business card and that was the beginning of Big Soul Productions. And created our identity and, you know, I, I, I understood the value of creating a myth and creating uh, a yes. myth without it existing before, right? And that's yeah. what we do as you know, people who create things and create characters and entrepreneurs, like anyone who's an actor is an entrepreneur. Like we, we make, we, Mm -hmm. we run our companies, we manage our companies and we hustle every day to, you know, bring in income to those companies. So we just started with a business card and, and like literally the rest is history. And actually the, the interesting thing about it, what ended up bringing me back to Toronto was an offer to be in a show called Riverdale. And I said yes to it because I actually didn't really want to leave New York, but I decided, okay, I'm, I'll take this job, came back to Toronto. And that's when I reconnected with Laura and said, you know, I'm in Toronto again. And, you know, if you want to have coffee, blah, blah, blah. And on Riverdale, I met Melissa DeMarco, who, if you remember, <gasps> in the 1990s, yeah. had a show on late night TV yeah. On like city thing, mm-hmm. and I knew of yeah. it. So I basically we played best friends, and I said, you know, I'm I just opened a production company. I'm <laughs> gonna make shows. Um, could you sit with me at lunch and like tell me how to do it? And then she just gave me all her time, gave me all oh. her time, and like I created a whole format for a show based on everything she told me. Um, then I would sit with Linda Shiler at you know the owner of Epitome Pictures and executive producer of Linda Shiler. Wow. 
and uh, asked her, like, how do I make a show? And then I got Brian Dennis on board as a mentor who did the res and dance me outside. And he taught me how to make a show. So I just really kept asking for help and mm-hmm. we built shows, yeah. built shows like that. Oh, I hate, I hate having to interrupt this discussion, but first we got to get a word from our sponsors. Then. I don't know about you, but I love movies. I love all kinds of movies, all kinds of genres, all kinds of styles. What I don't love is actually making a choice. I know it sounds ridiculous, but there's so much, there's so much to choose from. Well, Real Women's Network has helped make that easier. Real Women's Network is a brand new streaming service that focuses exclusively on content created by women and women-identified filmmakers. Real Women's Network celebrates the unique and diversified female voices from all over the world, including Canada. They've got documentaries, they've got feature films, short films, web series in a variety of genres. I mean, really, they've got something for everybody. You can get a monthly subscription or rent content without a subscription. Thank you. That makes things easier. You can also find them on their branded apps on Apple and Android. So all the information that you're going to want is available at realwomensnetwork.com. That's R-E-E-L womensnetwork.com. Thank you so much, Real Women's Network. You're helping me make some decisions. And you're welcome, film watchers. And now back to the conversation. Tell me some of the lessons like as a new producer that you were like, I didn't know this was going to happen as a producer. Like what were some, I mean, you probably learned less than every half hour, but what was some of the bigger ones? Oh, the bigger ones. Oh my goodness. Oh God. Um, It's very scary. It's just very scary. You never think about how, how terrifying it is to have, to be responsible for people's uh, people putting, you know, food on the table for their family while also being responsible for their for their well-being but also it's terrifying knowing that the money you took out you borrowed from the bank to make this project every single person you bring on board in some way has to protect that loan right. and you're always yeah. people and like behaviors and you know it's just there's so much on the line and it's mm-hmm. so scary um, and the other thing I realized was that a lot, a lot of producing is babysitting. Sorry. There's yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Or people management, like <laughs> grown up, but grown up babysitting is like people management. Exactly. And yeah. that's, that's a, a big, big part of it. You know, I learn things every day. I, I do. It's, it is a hard job. It's not, it's yeah. not a, always a fun no. job, but, uh, it's not, I, it's, for the most part, I like it. Um. <laughs> it it's crazy. So uh, that we're jumping ahead now because I know your art show running, um, or you just finished show running Little Birds. So how then do you go from acting and then creating a production company, creating the business card first, and then assembling this, you know, this band of uh, mentors that sort of teach you, and then how do you then foray into show running while still doing everything else like these are jobs that people spend decades learning how to fine tune yeah and the, the fact that you do all of them to me is just it's like we're testing you we're not I'm just grilling I'm just trying to understand no like, but I think like the multiple oh. plate spinners like we are all oh. doing that I don't know very many people that are like I'm just an actor 
It's yeah. like I'm an actor, writer, no, director. I know. But how do you how do you manage? But not that? to the level of not to the level of success that like people That's say right. that. Yes, they know, say that, yeah. but not to yeah. this level of success. So I just it's fascinating to me how you've set an intention, say you're going to do it, and then you do it and you pull it off. Because there's a lot of people, a lot of actors out there that are writers. And I didn't, that's mean, but they're writers. So I just want to know, like, how or what was the decision then into show running and the, the pivot into that? Was it sort of similar to producing? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because I feel like the title of showrunner is very much what I started doing from the beginning mm -hmm. because the very beginning. It, yes, it's everyone. Big Soul, um, you know, I would write shows, I would create them and write them. And you know, I had a certain expertise in terms of like having so much experience in the industry. So I would direct a lot of the stuff. So I was, you know, writing, creating, producing, uh, directing all of the content because A, we couldn't afford anybody else. And B, um, it was kind of the point of opening a production company so that I could create content. Mm -hmm. So yeah, everything that I have done, if I'm to go back and like rename my title or my credit, I would think that it, if there was a showrunner back then, then that's what I would have been. Um, you know, a showrunner also happens to own the company that is me, that is making the content. So the shift for me was really showrunning something I didn't own. That was the first time mm -hmm. I've done that. And, and was this the first time with him? With Hannah, was this the first time you've done that? Yeah. And so what was that like for you? Yeah, it's it's definitely different. You know, it's it is, I was very reluctant um to, you know, even join the team knowing that I only I only really make what I create and I usually own what I make. So there was always this idea right. that I own it. Um, and for me, ownership is important because it's, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about indigenous black experiences, for sure, in this sector, we have to make a lot more space for ownership because ownership is agency. Ownership mm -hmm. is like bank loans. Ownership yeah. is like way to, yes. way to reclaim space. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's like, it's like how women were experiencing the ownership thing you know, 10, 20 years ago, the company was owned by a man. You know, I think we're at that critical space time now where I want to see more indigenous production companies. And right. the only <sighs> way you can be successful is if you own content that sells. So, you yeah. know, building that has taken a long time and it's just not, it, it just felt like a step backwards for me. But then when I thought about it, you know, more. And I was like, you know, I guess, I guess I could do this. I could, I could open the door to being a showrunner, you know, who doesn't own things, a showrunner for hire, um, but still create the thing. Like I was with that from the ground up from six years ago. Very, yeah. And, you know, so there's little difference, probably a lot less stress for me, even though it was very, very stressful, but also having to manage the corporation and all of those things right. that happen own something. Uh, that was not on my plate. So that actually was, was pretty great. <laughs> that was pretty great. <laughs> right. At the end of the day, you're kind of going home away from the project. You're not also dealing with the people around the project. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. you know, it's like, it, it's, it, it's, um, I think it, 
there's positives and negatives. You know, the reason, uh, the reason ownership is important to me, aside from the reasons I explained, is that there's a certain sort of creative agency that is uncompromised when you own something. Mm -hmm. So every time you put yourself down a notch, even though, yes, as the showrunner, it's, you know, my show, my vision, I get the final say and blah, 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 like all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, the owners can say, this is not, you know, we don't yeah. like this. You're fired or we don't like this. You yeah. Know? So it's, mm-hmm. it is a, there are pros and cons. Yeah. I do like, mm-hmm. um, like, I do like making things and I like, um, creating processes or endeavoring to create processes that work in a different way, maybe a little bit counter to the conventional way of how the industry operates. Like what, what, in what capacity? I think there are some really um, complicated and complex realities around the intersection of indigenous knowledge and sort of lived experiences and the screen sector. So you know, it's very normal for us as filmmakers in documentary, even in while you're researching a drama series, it's very normal to go to a group of people and say, hey guys, can you tell me about what it's like, you know, living on the street? Or can you tell me about what it's like being a doctor? You know, that sort of extractive consultative process that we as storytellers rely on. Um, When you're dealing or working with indigenous stories and experiences, that could be anything from, you know, uh, anything to do from, from residential school to the 60 scoop, which like, you know, political or policy based things that are pretty much embedded in every story, child welfare, racism, mm. you know, the, d- uh, disproportionate numbers of, and outcomes in all areas and all sectors, education, justice, all of those things. So at some point, this, the collective knowledge and the lived experience, it's like, it's not ownable. You don't get to sign yeah. rights away. So there's a lot of new work that has to be done with intellectual property and collective knowledge and collective rights per community. And, you know, based on individual experience, you can't just go into a community and get a story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And do you see, do you see a positive movement in that new work that needs to be done? Do you see... I do see positive movement, yeah. for sure. like definitely the beginning stages and, and baby steps. Mm. Um, but it opens up like a wider conversation about like, why are we so extractive? Like, why, mm-hmm. why do we not take more care when asking people about their stories? Like, how, how are we so like, in the film industry, you know, I, I often liken it to, to growing up in Toronto. Like when you grew up in Toronto, as you both know, right? Um, mm-hmm. Kind of have this chip on your shoulder about everywhere else. And it's just like, right. it's a Toronto centric kind of thing. It's like, oh, I'm from Toronto. And like, oh, you suck. That kind of basic. Yeah. I feel like um, the film industry has that same sort of attitude and is always like, oh, we're, the, we're in the film industry. Like, it's okay if we behave this way or do this thing, you know, right. if, if we treat mm-hmm. people right we're in the film industry we're in the entertainment business you know we're uh, this this is going to go to festivals and you know so it's okay if I you know yeah. behave in a certain way or you know that sort of thing. so um, in that same way I think 
we have to be more gentle and more, you know, mm-hmm. indigenous perspective, culturally informed and culturally aware and cu- uh, mm-hmm. practice cultural humility, but also from the human perspective, generally be more kind and be more mm-hmm. um, inclusive, mm-hmm. right? And understand that you might be going into, you know, with a singular vision to c- get a specific story or find a character, but we don't often think about who who that person is that we're talking to. And mm-hmm. if they're going to experience trauma from the thing that you're just talking yeah. about. And, uh, you know, yes, there, there are very few mechanisms in place to protect anyone in this industry. Um, you know, we have harassment codes and things like that, but those are also still at the yeah. very stages because we all take them and we all see, see them be violated all the time. So yeah, it feels like we're a little bit like, um, we're going through an awkward growing, like puberty phase right now. (laughs) You know, like when people are like, they know they're supposed to talk to, like, if you're writing a story about a community you don't know about, it's your job as an artist to speak to those people. So you're not trying to Mm -hmm. represent from a place of make-believe, but from a place of kindness and and curiosity. But I still think there's this weird place where people go, like, as you said, like, can you tell me your story? And I don't actually have the tools to listen to them. Mm-hmm, you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's sort of this weird, like it's mm-hmm. like seeing people who write a story about uh, somebody who is a trans person, but they don't have that that education. So how are we going to find it? And actually, and and also, as you said, like challenging somebody that might have gone through trauma and yeah. are going to have to go through trauma again to tell that story. So I don't know. There's a huge shift of responsibility of the artist that I yeah. think is imperative, but I think mm-hmm. it's, it's um it's huge. I think it will come down to it just be being in these stages of adolescence. I think it will come down to a lot of people, unfortunately, that are not unfortunately, but a lot of younger people eventually growing into positions of power that have grown up with a different mindset. It's going to be hard, mm-hmm. I think, for at least a lot of people who still hold like the gate holders, the 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 office folk, the people who are in positions of power, or at least are the ones who hold the purse strings. It's going to be able very hard to change a mindset that has been ingrained since the beginning of this business. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if a core a crash course from IATSE or the DGC is going to catch everyone up from the work that even our generation has really been trying to do. And so I'm hopeful, but I do think we're going to be in these in this adolescent stage for quite some time until the guard changes out. Oh, our voice is going to be cracking. It's going to be super awkward. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Jennifer? Um, I was gonna say uh, I was gonna say something else, but now you got me thinking about a totally d- other thing, which I think is is important. Is that I loved this business from the beginning because of the way a group of people come together to like uplift a story. Yeah, and mm-hmm. my tolerance for not seeing that is is waning. I don't mm-hmm. like when it feels like no one gives a shit and I'm a part of something I have really no desire to be there yeah. regardless of how you know how many promises I have of where it's going to go um I really like to work with with good teams and good people and you know also recognizing too as a producer when when people aren't feeling safe on your own shows that you have to recognize that um, yeah so I might have ha- I might be you know the let's say victim or the the person in one situation and, and the person in another situation who is actually committing something, you know, not, ah, who is right. the 
protagonist in someone's story. Um, mm-hmm. Without mm-hmm. It, it's not intentional, but sometimes, you know, this business moves so fast and it's always, regardless of how nice you want to be and how kind it's about the bottom line. Cause someone's got, you know, a bank loan to repay and someone yeah. has a project to deliver so that, you know, everyone can get paid, get paid There are like a, a variety of factors that are in contradiction with being good people who uplift stories. Mm-hmm. Did you find there was a shift in responsibility? Because I feel like you came from a time when it, you you were one of the people that were overseeing, you know, the, the voice of an indigenous community. But now yeah. there seems like there's a more like there's more allies. There's more policing that's going on from everybody. Like I get called on my mistakes all the time, which I'm happy for. But it's not just from the community which, uh, that, that I might be like not offending, but, um, you know, misrepresenting do you feel like there's a shift in that responsibility I think there's a yeah there is a little bit of a shift I think there's just many more people many more people who are like uh available indigenous people storytellers producers who are available to stand you know stand with each other yeah um, against sort Mm. of the, the larger beast of misrepresentation and you know culturally uh I guess culturally incorrect narratives there's just more of us Mm -hmm. still a big you know that's why I started the shine network because even two years ago during 2020 I was like pretty devastated from a project that involved you know a person who was I would say knitting anti-indigenous racism Mm. um against me um and I went to look for help like I went to look for like who do I talk to and they're really they're aside from the ISO which is the indigenous screen office and you know I called Jesse Wente like everybody did up until you know I mean up until recently because he's not there anymore but there was just nowhere to go. So I wanted to fill that void and create something that people knew that they could at least call me and that I was a safe person to talk to times of, you know, tragedy or trouble or, you know, questions. And it really has proven to be very, it can't be me all the time. I'd like to be in a situation where there's like a whole bunch of people and mentors. And in our two and a half short years of the Shine Network Institute, uh, we have really we've really come to a place where I've, I recognize that it's an important organization and I want to invest as much time as possible into it because of what it stands for. And it stands for, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it stands for community and indigenous wellness and just a space Mm -hmm. where we can, you know, hopefully strengthen a person's experience in this industry. Yeah. When you first created it, when you first introduced it, did you find that you had a wealth of of people wanting to come to your aid and help and and, and like that were I, I don't want to say your level, but had your experience who were able to articulate themselves and also were able to give energy or or was it a while until you built a community? well, it's it's funny because at the same time that I was imagining, opening this and like taking the first steps to open it uh 
George George Floyd was murdered. And anyone who is uh, in the communities that were directly impacted, you know, specifically, I would say the black community, but it ripple affected into the indigenous community in a way that was very unexpected. Mm. And it was yeah. a really interesting time because I, I was opening, I did a launch of the Shine Network, this had happened, and then everybody was calling me to be on a panel. And I recognize now that every other BIPOC organization and everyone who was doing like anything was getting called by everyone to be mm. on a panel. Suddenly, everyone wanted to do panels. Suddenly, everybody wanted to talk about, you know, the, the movement that mm. took place after that incident. And it shift, it, there was a massive cultural shift. And what it did was it shone yes. a light on on, you know, I would say specifically black and indigenous people in America and Canada to the point where there weren't enough people to, to speak, to, to attend these panels. So they're obviously just, <laughs> you know, they're calling the first person that they Google and it's like, oh, the shine network, Jennifer <laughs> every panel. And I was seeing people, I was like, oh yeah, you're, from oh yeah, you're from, so it was a little bit humorous in terms of like, what it showed me and a lot of other people was the desperate appetite for learning. Yeah. Also the reality that, you know, we're still box tickers. We're still diversity quotas. We're still, you know, that is a, a sad, unfortunate reality. And again, that's probably why I hustle so much because I want to, I'm, I'm really trying to work my way out of the box ticking category and be just like everybody else. Yeah. But it's going to take some time. Like I do feel like even, even the shift of like recognizing like in the old days in comedy, when, when all women would play like secretaries, prostitutes or nurses. And then that shift was like, wait a second, it's a doctor. That's a woman. So like that took a while and it's going to take a while before we treat this you know, I do feel like it's growing pain stuff when I see like a new, a new show that it's all a bunch of white dudes. And I'm like, you got to do better. You got to, that muscle hasn't been exercised enough. So I don't know. I think we're, we're, we're learning, but it's not, I mean, I'm impatient. I can imagine you both are, are wildly more mm. impatient. I mean, that's probably why I, that's exactly why I started doing this. Cause I was so impatient and I was just like, this is never mm. unless I kind of take control of this, like to mm. do it myself and everybody else who's being excluded yeah so that's I can imagine for you because we came up at the the same time as well I remember when I first started getting asked to go to panels the question that I dreaded was always like who who are you inspired by like who who did you look up to in the that was in your community like when you first started doing this and I was like I don't what biracial woman in Canada that no one no one. I'm yeah. lucky that I Me. was getting you're inspired by yourself. I getting. But I, at the time, you don't know it. At the time, yeah. you're not cognizant of it. At the time, you're just trying to make whatever the fuck work. And again, buy milk for your baby that's strapped to your chest. And so it, um, it's just, it's just really fascinating to me that you, from the beginning, you just, you had about. It seems like you had about five minutes of patience for it, and then you were like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out and do this on my own," which I admire so much so yeah. much 
I often regret it. But. <laughs> well, I, I I got a burning question for you, actually, Jennifer, about the regrets, because you're an artist first, right? You're not a business person first, but you pay, became a business mm-hmm. person because of the need to to perform more, to be an artist more. So I need to know how you structure your day so that you're not finding yourself in business mode constantly, but you're still nurturing the artist of your within you. Oh God. I, I know, know it's hard. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I struggle with this. I, I need your, this is ask I'll Jennifer. You that, uh, the really hard part. And uh, now like today I have way more support and people like that work with me right. to, to help alleviate the load. Um, but the hardest part I think is finding, finding time to do the creative part. Like the, how do I yeah. shows? I have to write them. Yeah. How do I find the days and days and days that I need to write when I'm so busy delivering content and managing teams and overseeing projects and, you know, all of the producer stuff and all of the company stuff that's really where I struggle. So I, I'm seeking a, a way to find more time to write and create. I mean, mm-hmm. any answers, like, do you have any suggest? Somebody told me once to like structure your day so that you get like, cause I can easily fill my day with producing stuff. It's easy peasy. What's hard is like the vulnerable risky stuff which is the creative stuff so sitting down and writing and pouring your heart out is things that I want to do but it sure is harder than writing emails to people yeah I mean I I know that like I get inspired by people who are super organized with their day but I'm not that person like I'm just not that yeah me neither like there's certain things that are like uh, fixed, mostly fixed, which, which is making breakfast for my kids and lunches. And then, you know, hopefully being around when they come home so that we can have some time together in between. It's like, how am I going to tackle this load? And I just start start, and I do it. And it depends where, you know, if I go, like I, I booked a small role on something that to play my sister's sister, and I took it because it was, <laughs> really? it was like, uh, I get to spend time with my sister and I get to, you know, do a little, I like working in small roles because I, I love learning like what's happening on set. I yeah. love being up to date with yeah. everyone who's in the business, who's, you know, who's, uh, who I want to hire one day, just different processes. I want to, I love watching directors work and I just love learning because the acting part in the smaller roles is, is typically like not heavy and not difficult. Oh yeah. And you can, um, you get to watch. So it's and... more like, Oh, I get to like study here. So when I go away and do that, that was in Vancouver. I lose like three days from the other stuff. And then yeah. I, oh, yeah. I just feel like I'm trying yeah. to find time. And then there's like all the wellness stuff, you know, like the perimenopause stuff is like a whole new level of, like girl how's that sitting with you it's sitting right on top of my face (laughs) smothering me (laughs) I was so hoping you would have like a real easy like abc answer this is how this is and I'd be just like I'm just gonna be like a Bedemski but uh but Uh, the menopause uh offers a whole other layer of like emotional physical 
brain challenge of lines and things like that. Yeah. I was, I was actually on a today talking about that. And I was just saying like, it's just when you feel like you got to that point in your life where you're like the point that you work towards as a woman, right. you have this idea like, oh, when I'm, my kids are going to be fine and I'm going to be 50 and it's going to be amazing. And I have this company and da, 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 da. And you don't factor in menopause to that. And then you get to that point. You're like, no, no you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and it comes up, at least I, I'm usually, and thank God no one else, uh, it was someone else who brought it up because I usually bring it up every week when we do this, because it's something that I really struggled with because at least for me, the sheer lack of information out there, because it's obviously just a, a problem for people who are women and there's no research, there's no money in it. There's no, there's, at least right now, there's no money in doing research on it because like we're women, we'll deal with it. We deal with everything. It, it hit me like a ton of bricks and it's day to day that I still am like, I'm, this is my prime. This is the part I don't, I'm not worried about milk money anymore. I have a house. My kids are alive. God damn it. I want three, four years where I know that's shit exactly. start falling off. And yeah, it's wait, wait, shit's falling and, off, Amanda. I feel like yeah, that's a doctor. Starts falling off. No, no, if things are actually <laughs> falling off, you need to call the doctor on that one. No, but I just, it's just, I. When does it end? And then when this finally does end, because sometimes it lasts twenty-five years, I'm dead. Yeah. Anyways, thank you for being here. This is the place. <laughs> <laughs> All of way to end it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but thank you for, for acknowledging it. But maybe like the more we talk about it too, right? Like as women in this industry. And so when you're on set and you're working with an actor that's in perimenopause or full on menopause and they're like, I'm having, mm -hmm. I'm having a moment that it's not like we can actually talk about it. It's not this hidden secret. What's happening? Oh, she's experiencing the change. Like yeah. it's not even like mm -hmm. spoken about. Yeah. So maybe there's like a little bit more of an awareness and a, and a responsibility that we can all have for it. Yeah. Including that's something I will say that uh, I've noticed that that's changed much quicker. I've noticed that's changed much quicker on sets than anything else, but like anything else about even casting. I know I've noticed on set just conversations between women and not being ashamed to talk about just, just being really open in regards to uh, menopause or body image, or it's, it's been lovely. And that's been a huge, quick, fast, dirty change. And I'm into it. Yeah, me too. Here, here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're about yeah. to turn 50. I'm watching all your Instagram posts about like all your moments. And I think it's so like, again, it's just discussion, right? It's awareness and, and our connection to say it out loud to, to connect with other folks. And it's not this unspoken territory. Yeah, absolutely. I know. It's a good commitment to each other to, yeah. Yeah. to hold space for those conversations. Yeah. And also even like the discussions yeah. that we're having today, like even about like, you know, the, the hats that we wear as producer, director, writers, actors, like if we can talk about our process a little bit more, then it's not this like, you know, like, I don't know for a while, like I see producers and I'm like, they've got it all together. I just think producers because I feel like they're gatekeepers. So they've got it all together. And then the more you talk to them, they're like, no, this is really challenging for me too. Or, you know, casting directors have the same discussion of like, do you know how hard it is to be a casting director? So again, I think these mm. discussions just help make it less unicorn-like. Yeah. Demystify all yeah. of the that's a better word. Yeah. Unicorn like yeah. I think is poor. 
No, I look, I, I love it. Um, Jennifer, we could talk to you forever, but we do have to let you go at some point to continue on with your 79 jobs. Um, we do, however, do this uh, cute little thing. It's, we ask you 10 really quick questions, whatever pops in your mind, please answer it. If you get anything wrong, we just hang up and uh, <laughs> that's it. And here's the secret, spoiler alert, you can't get anything wrong. Uh, number one, what's your least favorite word? Oh my gosh. Can't. I love it. Oh, like it. I um, it. Who would you love to work with, dead or alive? Oprah. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, that's fine. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Um, three words to describe your life right now. Um, crazy, sexy, cool. I love it. Ooh, I like that. You're good. You're, good uh, uh, you're nailing these. Uh, one thing that turns you on creatively. Teamwork. Yes. Collaboration. Yes. Collaboration. Totally. What, what is something yeah. that turns you on creatively? Collaboration. Oh, I just oh sorry. 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 But I just had a stroke. Uh, what <laughs> is one thing that made you feel power? What's one thing that makes you feel powerful? Um, finishing my to-do list. Can that yes. be done? Oh, I, I had that. a part two for that question. But short to-do list. Yeah. Short. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. One thing that turns you on creatively. I'm just joking. Well, I'm being <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so um, <laughs> um, how do you think people see you? Best answer would be very differently than I see myself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is one song that moves you? Um, anything by Lauren Hill. Yeah. One, ooh, yeah. Forgive them. Um, the worst. Ooh, yes. I just listened to that the other day. Love that song. Sorry. Um, worst job you've ever had. It doesn't have to be business related. Just worst gig. I was the third wardrobe assistant on a show called Blue Hawk, and it was terrible. It was the worst job ever. I think I did twenty hour days on that show. Because you also do wardrobe. Oh. Well, that was when I was like eight, nine, 20, 22, maybe. Yeah, it was the worst job ever. Mm. Um, <laughs> other than your kids, your family, of course, your loved ones, what is something that you would give give it all up for? Uh, to not have menopause. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, that's great. I would do that too. Okay. And last one, your best advice uh, that you've ever gotten and worst advice. The best advice I ever got was if everything you wish for came true tomorrow, would you be ready? I love that. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. The worst advice is, uh, yeah. Uh, it is like people that say it is what it is like to just, eh, it is what it is. Right. Like um, I don't react well to that. I like to be proactive and to tackle things. Yeah. I love it. Me too. Um, Me we're going to wrap it up with our final thing, which is shining a light on other uh, women or non-binary artists and sort of raising their, their profile a little bit. Um, we've had some time to think about it because we knew it was coming up. Amanda, do you have one? Yes, I do. Danny kind. 
Yes. Katie Collins uh, is an actress on Working Moms, and she sort of did the same thing where she just decided one day that she, you know, wants, not one day, but she just decided I want to be a director and I have enough hours in this business and I want to claim it and make it mine and did and is successfully doing it. And just, I'm really impressed with that kind yeah. of just taking, claiming your space and taking it, not just talking about it. So Danny, um, um, my Naomi, is, uh, you? yeah, Camille Baudouin, do you know Camille? She, she's runs this organization out in Edmonton called gift girls in film and television. And she's just like, just hustles for it. Like she just saw a need for um, having younger women uh, being supported in this industry to be writers. And so she has this organization gift where she teaches kids how to make their own shows. And it's just a really like, I just yeah. really admire that kind of uh, commitment to um, to definitely like a need that's, that's out there. So Camille Baudouin is mm. mine. How about you, Jennifer? Do you ha have anyone come to mind? Maybe, um, to shine a light on someone who I really admire would be Shirley Chichu. She's not emerging, but she runs a film school in Manitoulin Island. And she's, you know, one of the first Indigenous actors and directors. And I shine a light on her because she taught me about um, creative, uh, creative integrity when she bought the rights back to her movie, her first feature film. <gasps> the million dollars to buy them back because she that they, the people who owned it were ruining her movie and I watched her do that and I just was so inspired by that and will always be inspired by her she's just such a shit disturber and cares about community so Shirley Chichu oh love it God. love it love this it this has been so great Jennifer thank you so much I know as I said you're Ew. so nuts busy but it really um these kind of discussions just are so good for for me anyway uh, we should have recorded it, but we will next time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jennifer. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. See later. Yeah, be well. All right. Bye. Uh, you didn't record it, did you? <laughs> no. It's just I a didn't. joke that we'll live forever. I know I really didn't. I pressed stop halfway through. I was like, this is nonsense. This isn't very good. I'm not learning anything. <laughs> said nobody ever in the blaze sessions. That being said, what did you learn today? Yeah, I think like just like making work, right? Like Jennifer from from 20, right? She was in New York at 2024. 20, and just seeing that there's a need to produce and not waiting for somebody else to mm. to make things happen. I mean, mm -hmm. I've always believed that, but um, she mm -hmm. does it on such a higher level that uh, yes. it's a beautiful community leadership as well. I think she's pretty extraordinary. It's, it's just, this one, this one is my favorite one. I shouldn't say that, I can't say that. I think you actually say that, that a lot. You've said that for a couple, so it's okay. But it, maybe I, it's just so inspired afterwards. It's just, goodness sakes, I learned so much. Just also just so grounded and determined and intentional with her energy and her words. Yeah. And I just admire that. Anyways, what I learned, was that today after I go pick up my kids and none of them are dead and I make them dinner and we sit down together that I'm going to celebrate and pat myself on the back. Yeah. Celebrating the little wins and acknowledging the little wins will help you get to a place, you know, where you're not putting too much focus on the career wins or the ones that are seemingly large, mm -hmm. but also just trains yourself to celebrate, just celebrate the life wins, which yeah. will then help you be more creative. Loved it.
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. All right. What are you looking at? I just look, well, I mean, one of the light bulbs is out to be honest, but uh, I looked up and then I was like, you know, these discussions really, they're really, um, they really move me. And I also love how different each one is like speaking to Jennifer. I feel like she's like, I'm like, and Jennifer just makes me go, boom. Let's just speak about mm. real life in a real That's way. That's what I meant Ener- energetically. And had the, she speaks with such intention that it then. You yeah, can't help but jump on that train, me, right? Me. Can't help it. Yeah. Train's moving and you Train's- jump on it. All right. All right. To, to you know, you're writing a t-shirt every time. Congratulations. Um, okay. Go pick up your kids. Tell me one thing that this, this after this evening that you're like excited about besides hanging out with your kids my kids uh we're gonna go grocery shopping that's pretty exciting oh jude doesn't have soccer tonight <sighs> nice so what's gonna be it's not friday one so less thing one less thing uh they get to choose which is very exciting that's i'm fun. very very excited for them there's like other stuff that i have to write and legal stuff and stuff like that i'm not excited about that but the fact that we can have a longer dinner together as a family uh maybe baths maybe maybe shopping like phoenix needs pants you don't need to know any of this i'm no, just excited to like have when an phoenix hour is like my choice it's it's my call like dealer's choice i want to go shopping for pants is that yeah. what he does he'll want to go shopping for something but i'll squeeze in pants because he needs pants but uh he'll he'll want to do something this weekend we're doing it where one day is jude's choice one day is phoenix's because aiden and i as you know leave next week and we go away for a while so uh, this weekend it's the kids plan the weekend so amazing Look amazing out. i love it i love it. i love putting the kids in charge so do i yeah. so do i um i want you to have a wonderful night have Thank a you good so weekend much. you're probably going to see a show you know i am i'm gonna go see some comedy tonight i want to see what's going on in toronto's comedy scene i'm going to i'm going to see comedy in chicago and i'm very yeah. excited hey we have to yeah. talk about your time in chicago because maybe i can find you some second city tickets yeah yeah i love it i love it congratulations report back on what you see for oh my god i did it again amanda i'm like i so enjoy chatting with you and then i forget all about the wrap up hey everyone i mean we're having a good time i hope you are too go over to firecrackerdepartment.com and on all the platforms at firecracker dept hashtag the blaze sessions and know tell us what you think give us a little review share this if this conversation made you think about somebody like oh that reminds me so go and share it with them and that'll reverberate into the community and share these amazing stories um and don't forget we're on youtube now so if you're hearing this you can also see this and if you're seeing us you can also just hear us congratulations <laughs> congratulations i love you amanda brugel Bye, i love friend. you mary snakin The Blaze Session is hosted and produced by myself, Naomi Sneekus, and Amanda Bruegel. Jennifer Morose is our consulting producer and cheerleader extraordinaire. Pal Carranza is our communications manager and content creator, with support from Chelsea McKenzie and Morgan Walker. Original graphics by Vicki Briarbeer and Becca Buddygag. Anna Maroden is our firecracker of all trades with doing our YouTube artistic management, our newsletter, and also content creation. Jennifer Rowley is our amazing sound designer and basically editing wizard. 
Rebecca Gismani does our show notes and additional writing. Sendas Yati does our outreach and consultation management. Shrishti Jaiswal is our video editor. Music by Sophia Canali and Arthur Kaplan. Big, big thanks to the entire Firecracker Department Actioneer team that keep this community going. That's Veronica Martin, Anita McFarlane, Pau Carranza, and Lisa Lafferty. For more information about the Blaze sessions or the programs, workshops, panels that are offered through the Firecracker Department, go to firecrackerdepartment.com and follow us at firecrackerdept on all your platforms. If you enjoyed our episode today, leave a comment or maybe something one of our guests said really like sparked some inspiration. We'll share this episode with a friend. And if you didn't like the episode, you know what? Just keep it to yourself. No one likes a complainer. Now go on out there, take some creative action, and then share it with the Firecracker Department community. We'd love to hear what you're working on. Bye for now. Hi, friends. It's Anita from Firecracker Department Writing Burst and Sunday Virtual Brunch. I just want to say thank you for listening to The Blaze Sessions. Mm-hmm.